Let's go to the Lord and pray now. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word, to study your word. And God, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, I thank you again for James recording this for us. I thank you even for the early church and the blunders they made that God, that we can glean from them. And Lord, we know that we're part of something that's not perfect because we're involved in it and we know we're not perfect. But God, I thank you for your, your care for us, your love for us, your desire to move in us and change us. So as we read here in James, Lord, don't let it just be words, but let it impact our lives. Let it be something that's gonna change us and change our thinking and bring us to that place, God, where we can glorify you with our lives. So, Lord, I give you this time, and I thank you for it, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're in James chapter 5, verse 1. While you're finding it, uh, if you're still searching for it, uh, hey, as we think about this, James now is kind of, in some ways, changing, but not. But right now, he's going to talk about something that Nobody likes to talk about in church, I think, and that's money. Whenever we talk about money, it's, it's fun for me as a pastor. Now, I don't have a lot of people here right now. I got like six or seven. But usually, usually it's fun in the church because you guys are all sitting out there and I'll say, hey, we're gonna talk about money, and I get these looks. Some of them are stink eye. Some of you give me the real stink eye. Some of you give me the thing like, I don't want you talking about that. Some of you have kind of a grin on your face thinking it's all good and et cetera, but it is a difficult topic because, hey, I think the very last thing to get sanctified in our life is our wallet. We're, we're worried about that. We kind of try and do that. But, you know, the Bible does say a lot about money, but there's a lot of misinformation put out there about money that people say things that it's not really what it is. Some people say that money is, the, uh, is all kinds of evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible never calls money evil. In Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not the root, but a root. So it's part of it and it, how, how it affects us and what it does to us. And then Jesus in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Mark 10, also talks about money and how that affects in a rich young ruler and how it affected his life. So listen, I don't want you going around saying money is evil. And then sometimes we say, hey, money is filthy lucre. I even say that sometimes. Sometimes they try and give me the money from the coffee house and I will say, I don't want that filthy lucre. And I shouldn't do that. That's bad because the only time the Bible calls it filthy lucre is when it's gotten illegally or, you know, it's ill-gotten gains. You've taken advantage of somebody or something. So again, God doesn't hate money. I guess that's what I'm trying to get across. So in this passage, as he talks about money and rich people, I want us to keep that in mind. So let's read, listen, let's read verse one. And uh, I'm sorry, we're not in verse one, are we? We're in verse Oh, yeah, we are in verse one. Chapter five. Oh, I'm in Galatians. If I open my Bible to Galatians, I'm thinking, that doesn't say what that... In Galatians 5, one, it says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. I'm thinking, that's not right. So let me catch up. Here we are. <laughs> There's a good one for you guys at home. So, <laughs> so I've done this once. But anyway, chapter five, verse one. Oh, it's so much fun. Wow, that was a bummer on my head. You should have been in here when that was going on. It was like, what on earth? So James 5.1, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. And listen, I think it might be better to say this, come now, you greedy. Because God's not, listen, God is not against wealthy people. That's not what this is about. As a matter of fact, the Bible's full of wealthy people, right? That were godly. Abraham, Job, you know, and one of my favorite that I, I like to bring up, Joseph of Arimathea, you know. I think that guy's incredible. He, you know, what he did and how he came out and, and, and stuff. And then, and then one of the, my favorite, when you think about Mother's Day coming up, Lydia, and she was one who was, and they were wealthy people. So he's not saying, listen, he's not saying rich in the sense of everybody who's rich is, you know, poor, poor souls. 
He's saying greedy people. So it might be better to even translate it that way in our, in, in our, uh, in our heads. But he says, listen, here's what he says, you need to weep and howl. He uses, he uses two, verb, or two words there just to bring about, man, they, they need to understand how miserable they are and the danger that money brings. And I believe for anybody, I don't care who it is, I think an abundance of wealth can be very dangerous in a person's life. I think it's something that, you know, people have to deal with. Now, I understand, and listen, I, I love it. Whenever you talk about this, people go, well, you know, according to Bangladesh, we're all wealthy, and da, da, da. Well, I'm not, excuse me, I'm not living in Bangladesh. And so I don't do that comparison. I don't think that's fair. And if you're so concerned about the people in Bangladesh, get a passport, go to Bangladesh, and minister to the people in Bangladesh, and then you can fulfill the Great Commission. But having said that, listen, he's saying, man, hey, and again, according to the whole world scheme, we are all rich or wealthy. But he's saying, hey, you greedy people, Weep and howl, I, I, I like that idea. You know, it's, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a big, big word for, they use for words that sound like, uh, when you say the word, it sounds like their definition. And when you think of howl, right, it sounds like, sounds like the definition of it. So, and, and that's a big word I can't pronounce, but I thought I'd let you guys know I did some studying. But anyway, he says, he says do that for your miseries are coming upon you. Greedy people. It's going to catch up with you. That's what James is saying. If you're greedy, you need to know something. It's going to catch up with you. And now he's going to let us know three or four things about greedy people. Number one, they're hoarders. We're going to talk about that. Interesting during this time that we're going to talk about that. Maybe some of you are going to get busted right now about some things. And then we're going to talk about fraud and that's not a good thing, never a good thing. And we're going to talk about self-indulgence. And lastly, all of that leads to murder. And that's James's point. And here's what I like about James. When you think about James, he doesn't have a dog in this fight. And here's what I mean by that. James isn't envious of these people. He's not, he's not someone who wishes he had what they had. He's not somebody who doesn't like them. As a matter of fact, I think James was doing okay at this point, but here's, what, here's what's going on. He's saying, man, I look at these people and they're ruining their own lives. It's coming down on them. Everything is coming upon them and they need to be somebody who, again, is weeping and howling. And then he says, why? Listen, for your riches, in verse two, are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. So, man, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look at what's going on. And he says, your riches, in their, in their culture, in that generation, riches or wealth was measured by how much grain you had, how much clothing you had, and then on the bottom is how much gold and silver. So grain was the top. And if you had a lot of grain, you were one wealthy dude. And here's what he's saying. You hoard that grain, and eventually you can't use it, and it's just gonna rot. Kind of reminds me of Jesus, right? When, when Jesus tells us to store up our treasure in heaven, because here, as we do treasures here, what happens to it? It gets eaten up. And we've kind of even found that out just recently. Hey, there was some people early on in this pandemic thing when the stock market busted, man, it was hard on them. We were talking earlier this morning and uh, one of the guys uh, that, that I kind of like to follow on Twitter and look at is Elon Musk with Tesla. And one day he lost $3 billion. That's a lot of money to lose in one day. And, and, you know, some of those guys get freaked out. And here's what James is saying. You who hoard, be careful, be careful. Even that toilet paper you have hidden in your middle closet, moths are going to get in there. There's going to be holes in it, and you're going to be really sorry when you go to use it because it's going to be messed up. So just, just thought I'd throw that out there. You know, if you're doing that, shame on you. Now, now here's the big thing. I don't know if you're keeping up on the news, and I hate to spread things, but now there's this whole meat shortage, chicken shortage. Some of you are hoarding chicken. Shame on you. 
You know, it's going to, here's what James is saying. Don't be hoarders. Stop it. Don't do that. And I don't think we should do that in any situation. So just busting out a few of you, because some of us get real smart. Well, at least I'm not like that. And yet we kind of, hey, this shows how in the flesh we can get when certain situations happen. So he says, listen, it's going to, your riches are corrupted. He goes, your garments are moth-eaten, again, sounding like Jesus. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion is a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Listen, man, this stuff is gonna come, and even precious metal is someday gonna become nothing. Doesn't the Bible say that the streets in heaven are paved with gold? That doesn't mean heaven's so opulent that, you know, that they use gold for that. It means this. Gold in heaven has the same value as asphalt here. And it's that letting us know that. And so we need to know that, man. Don't be doing all of that. Now, having said that, there's nothing wrong with having a savings account. There's nothing wrong with, you know, saving up for retirement, doing a portfolio, doing those things, unless you're putting all your trust in that. Then you have some problems. Then you've got some issues going on, and you need to watch it. You need to be somebody, hey, I don't want to do that, man. I don't want to be there. And again, hey, I have, I have some savings built up. I even have a portfolio, which makes me feel kind of weird. I would say something like that, but I do because I'm over 57. Some of you will get that joke. Some of you won't, but hey, I read a thing. I read an article the other day that 57 is old. So uh, that's why I say that. So listen, man, he's not saying that's bad, but if I was just looking to that and not trusting the Lord, then I have a problem. So he tells them, number one, stop hoarding, don't be hoarding, and then don't be defrauding or frauding people. Listen to verse four, it says, hey, indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields will keep you, will, will, or which you kept back by fraud cry out and the cries of the, re- of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And, and it's not the Lord of Sabbath, but the Lord of Sabaoth or the Lord of hosts or the Lord of the armies is how you would translate that. And here's what he's saying, man. God hears those people who are hurting. When somebody is crying out to the Lord because they've been cheated on, they've been taken advantage of, they've been used, God knows that. And we need to understand that. But if you're wealthy and you're taking advantage of somebody, my personal opinion, this is opinion, I think those are the worst people. Those are the worst people. Hey, you can be a hoarder, and that's between you and hoarding, I guess, and what you have, and uh, that's going to do. But when you're ripping people off, listen, if people are working for you and people are doing something for you, and you're ripping, you're intentionally ripping them off, man, you are a, you're not a good human being. And you need to know that. And you need to understand. Maybe I'm busting somebody this morning. I don't know. Maybe this is like exposing something in your life. And if it is, you know what? Here's the good news. You can repent and change all of that. But ripping people off is bad. I, I've shared with you guys before, I think, about, about uh, when I had the pottery business, an IRS guy used to come in all the time, not professionally, wasn't him checking on me professionally. He used to, he used to stop in when he would be in Bisbee and uh, stop in the shop, and I, I just befriended him and became a friend, which made me feel a little bit better about IRS people, and they're not all evil, you know, demonic people coming to rip you off or lock you up. But anyway, talking with him, he said, you know what? He goes, you need to know something, man. The last thing the IRS wants to do is lock up a business, because when they lock up that business, they know they're probably not going to get their money. Oh, they might be able to sell some stuff, but most of it's going to go to creditors. And, and so, so they know. Listen, they know they're in trouble. They want to work with people. They want to work with people and get people to make payments. So, you know, don't always demonize the IRS. And anyway, he let me know that, which made me feel better about the IRS. A little bit more casual. He said, but, and I'll never forget this. He says, but me, personally? Oh, I so want to get the guys who are ripping off their employees. And by this, here's what happens. They withhold taxes from their employees, but they don't send it to the IRS. They keep it. And now they're not just frauding their employees. Now they're committing fraud with the IRS. 
and the employee gets ripped off because now the employee owes those taxes that never got paid. Oh, that used to infuriate him. And that's, when I read this in James, I always think of that story he told me. And he goes, it never brings me more pleasure than to lock up their business and handcuff them and put them in jail. And here's what he's saying, man. Those people who are frauded, the Lord, the Lord of armies, think about that. The, the leader of the entire universe, he hears your cry. And then he says this, verse five. You who have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury, you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Now do you understand, I think James is starting to get a little soft-hearted here as he's talking. And he's beginning to understand, you know what? What's going on isn't good. And what's happening in their lives is not good. And I understand something, man. Everything they did, they're just making themselves feel good as the slaughter is coming against them now. Listen, now it's gonna come down on them. And they live in luxury. And again, you know, he says you live in pleasure and luxury. Again, using a couple different words, you're living on earth in pleasure and luxury. Now, I know that a bunch of us, we have different ideas of what pleasure and luxury are. We have different standards. And again, we have to be careful judging one another. I think a lot of us would probably think someone like Job looked pretty luxurious. Abraham definitely was luxurious. Abraham had his own private army. Think about that. You know, today, uh, you know, you look at somebody and they have a yacht that looks like a cruise ship and, you know, they're landing helicopters and stuff on it. That's pretty luxurious, I think, I think. And so, listen, man, it's all, you know, it's all perspective. And again, it's not us to judge someone else, but it's us to judge ourselves. How am I doing with what God has given me? How am I doing with the resources that God has given me? And am I using them for his glory? Am I being faithful with what he's given me? Or am I abusing them? And some of these, listen, some of these are abusing them. And, but here's, here's the heart of James. He goes, man, you're doing that and all it is is preparing you for the day, and, and it's interesting he says this, right? The day of slaughter. James is gonna bring up end times a few times in this passage. You see, James knew something. Jesus is coming back, and here's what he felt in his generation. He's coming back soon. Here's what I feel in our generation. He's coming back soon. Who knows if this whole thing we're going through, this, this thing we're calling a pandemic and lockdown and the whole, have, have you kind of paid attention? The whole world's disrupted. Hmm. You think Jesus may be coming back? And Gaynell, listen, Gaynell is someone, she, she's kind of an end times person. And she says, this is it, Pat. And I go, man, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. You know, this is the time. So listen, man, he says, but when he comes back, you need to know something. He's coming as a judge. And he says, you're fattening yourself up. So if you're somebody that you're counting on your material possessions, your wealth, your portfolio, all of those things, and you're cheating people, and you're greedy, and you're hoarding, and you're grabbing a hold of it, repent today. Today, because today is his day of salvation. Hey, Jesus is coming back, and you need to know that. And as I think about James, listen, he starts out in verse one being pretty, to me, pretty harsh. Verse two and three is, is harsh. Verse four is really harsh. Verse five is getting harsh, but there's a tinge, a tinge of compassion there. He's worried about him. Kind of reminds me of David. David in Psalm 73. Hey, for homework, you can read Psalm 73. I love that psalm. In Psalm 73, David starts out and he, he starts about, hey, I look around and I see that, you know, the wicked are prospering, the wicked are doing fine, they're taking advantage of other people, and I'm paraphrasing, and, or pataphrasing, I like to call it, and he's looking all around and this is going on, and, and he goes, man, he goes, and my foot almost slipped. Here's what David says, I look at that stuff and I'm almost drawn into it, I'm close to thinking, how come that's happening, and what about the godly who are being persecuted and the godly who are being taken advantage of, and those people who are following you who seem to be getting cheated and I see the cheaters winning and, and man it's like freaking me out God that's the beginning of Psalm 73 some of you go mine doesn't read quite that way that's the way mine reads and he goes listen man I was almost there and then what does he say because I think this is important for all of us 
What does he say? How do I deal with what we're reading here when rich people are taking advantage of others and I see greedy people like just like getting away with it? How do I, how do I deal with that in my heart? Here's what I do. What David says in Psalm 73 is he said, all of that happened to me until I went into the house of the Lord. And when I went into the house of the Lord and got a godly perspective, here's what I understood. I pitied them because I saw their end. And here's what James is saying. I pity these guys because I see their end. Oh, they're doing all of that, but here's what I know. All they're doing is fattening themselves up for the day of slaughter. So saints, when we need to deal with things in real situations, when we need to do that, here's how we deal with them, with the word of God, hiding it in our heart, getting it in our heart, and understanding that I am more convinced now than ever that my God is in complete control of everything. Even this pandemic, he's in complete control. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced of that more now than ever. Oh, and then... All of this leads up to verse six. He says, you have condemned and you have murdered the just. I'm not sure he's talking about actual murder, actual killing. I think what he's saying is by everything you've done, you have trashed them. But even if we go, you know, real murder, actual murder, and then listen to what he says. And he says, you have murdered the just. And there's a colon there in my Bible. And then he says, he does not resist you. You've done that to the just, yet he doesn't resist you. You see, a godly, just person is not going to get involved in this battle. We're not going to be people who are going around, you know, trying to, okay, if there's rich people, let's take from the rich and give to the poor. Let's redistribute the wealth. Let's make everything equal. That's called socialism. That's not a good thing. And God does not promote that. Here's what a just person says. Hey, that's on you, bro. You doing that? I actually feel sorry for you because I see your end and I see what that money's doing to you and I see what that wealth is doing to you. I kind of joke, but kind of serious. Like people sometimes ask me if I play the lottery. Oh, I wouldn't say I'm not tempted to play the lottery. I would kind of like the idea of winning, especially when it's like $300 million or something. I'm thinking, man, wouldn't that be kind of nice? And here's what God whispers to my heart, not for you. And I think, what do you mean not for me? Well, here's what I know. If I got $300 million, it would ruin me. I know that. It would ruin me. And God knows that. And so people say, do you play the lottery? I go, no. They said, why not? Why don't you take a chance? Do you think it's, you know, a horrible, sinful thing? I don't think it's a wise thing, personally. I don't think it's a good way to to do things. I don't think that's a proper way, but I'm not sure you're gonna die and go to hell if you play the lottery. That's between you and the Lord. But why don't I do it? Because God's never gonna let me win. I know that. He is not, it is not gonna happen. Why? Because he knows it'll ruin me. And so even if I picked the right numbers, the numbers would change before they drew him because he's not gonna let me win. So hey, here's what, man, he knows it's gonna ruin me. And here he says, man, when you do that, you get greedy, you've condemned, you've murdered the just, and the just just does not resist you. They just go on. So remember that in your life, especially if you're kind of lean towards greedy. And by the way, I need to say this. You don't have to be real wealthy to be greedy. You can be a real poor person and be greedy. And so you need to check what is going on in my heart. You maybe only have one roll of toilet paper in your house, but you've been hoarding that for months. So, hey, you know, that's a, that's a, a way that I can look at it. And maybe, well, never mind. Something popped in my head. I won't say that. Thank God we can stop. You know, Spurgeon one time said, this has nothing to do with the message. Spurgeon one time said, a lady came up to Spurgeon one time and said, sir, you know, you get kind of carried away with some of the things you say, something like that. You, you're, kind of, you're kind of crazy, and I'll never forget his quote back. Spurgeon had to be a Calvary Chapel pastor. Spurgeon looked at her, and he said, madam, if you only knew what I didn't say, what was in my head, you would be amazed. So, you know, that's how I feel a lot. Man, things go in here, and thank God that there's some teeth here to stop it coming out. So listen, man, hey, if you're greedy, whether you're greedy with 
bazillions or you're greedy with five bucks. If you're greedy, James says you need to change now. Now, he wants to talk to those of us who feel like we've been taken advantage of. You know, the, well, I won't say that either. That just popped in my head. But some of us think, oh, woe is me. It's horrible. Listen to James's response or how he feels we, how, how should we respond to those people who are doing that? Verse seven says, therefore, have you picked up on that? And I know I say it a lot, but I think it's important when the therefore is there, you have to ask what the therefore is there for, right? He's drawn a conclusion. He obviously is drawing a conclusion of verses one through six. Some people say he's drawn a conclusion from chapter one, verse one, all the way to here, but at least one through six. So you have these rich people taking advantage, and just like the psalmist, just like David says, the rich seem to get richer, the poor seem to get poorer, life is horrible, things are difficult. So what should our response be? Listen to what he says. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Hey, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus and you need to keep your eyes on the fact that he is coming back and he's coming back for you and he's coming back soon. Here's what I love about this. Notice that as James speaks to the church of his generation, he doesn't have to go into a long explanation of the coming of the Lord. He doesn't have to convince them that Jesus is coming back. They knew Jesus was coming back. He's just telling them, you need to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now, I personally, I have an easier time dealing with money in my life than I do patience. He says, be patient, and I think, no. I don't wanna be patient. And here he's talking about long suffering with people, and sometimes the suffering is very long with people. And he's saying, hey, you need to be that kind of person that you're gonna endure, and you're gonna, hey, you're gonna be there, and you're gonna be there till Jesus comes back. You know what that tells me? You're gonna have this battle going on between greedy and poor, between those who take advantage of and those who are taken advantage of until Jesus comes back. It's not gonna go away, we're not gonna fix it. Communism's not gonna fix it, socialism's not gonna fix it, and guess what, democracy's not gonna fix it. It's not gonna get fixed, and the church isn't gonna fix it. You know, sometimes people go, well, if the church got power, we would fix it. Check out the dark ages when the church had power and find out how well the church did in fixing things. So listen, man, here's what he says. He says, you need to be patient till the Lord, till, uh, until the coming of the Lord. And then my question then is, when's he coming? Right? I'm ready. I want him to come now. And then that kind of takes me to 2 Peter chapter 3. You can read that for homework, Right? Because again, to paraphrase, 2 Peter chapter three, everybody's complaining. People are complaining, you know, where's this coming of the Lord that you keep talking about? And they're asking Peter, and they're, they're like doing the same thing like they do to us today. You could say he's coming, but I don't see him coming. Why are you talking about that? And then Peter says to them, hey, you need to know something. God lives outside of time and space. And his coming is eminent, and eminent doesn't mean right away. It means could be any moment. And his coming's been imminent since he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. From that moment on, he could come back. Here's what you need to know. There is nothing else that has to happen in history for Jesus before Jesus can come back. Everything's taken care of. He could come back at any moment. But they're hassling Peter, and Peter says, hey, you need to know God lives outside of time and space. And that's where he uses the analogy, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day with the Lord. He's not giving us a formula by which now we can translate Genesis chapter one and understand that each day's a thousand years. It's not what he's giving us. He's letting us know God lives outside of time and space. God's not governed by time and space. And here's the bummer. No matter how hard we try, we cannot understand that because we live governed by time and space. And we can say we understand it, but we really don't. We can't understand with God, everything is now. This is kind of freaky when you think about it, right? Everything is now. What do you mean now? I mean now, everything. There's not a past, there's not a future, there's just a now with God. And so, That'll give you people from Bisbee if you're watching something to think about and meditate on. But that's where it is. 
And so here's what James says, be patient. Be patient till the coming of the Lord. Don't worry about what greedy people are doing. Don't take that upon yourself to try and fix that. Be patient. And then he says, listen, let me me give you an example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Here's what he's doing. In their generation, in their agriculture, they did not have irrigation systems like we have today where where they could water things and take care of things. You planted seeds in the fall time knowing that the early rains, the early rains are October, November in in Israel. That's why some people say, how come we don't go in November? Because it's rainy season there. And then you got the early rains come there and they get those those seeds that you put in, they get germinated, they start growing, they start taking care of. And then the latter rains come and, and, you know, maybe April, May time frame, and then you do your harvest because it helps the, the, the final fruit come. And here's what he says. The farmer plants and impatiently waits, right? And by that, by the way he words this, he's not just sitting on his hands. You do some stuff as you're, as you're waiting just like us. We need to patiently wait for the Lord, but we're not just all a bunch of people sitting on a mountaintop saying, okay, Jesus, we're ready, No, we're busy about it. The same as a farmer. Does a farmer just put the seed in the ground and go, hmm, I'll wait till May and pick some corn. No, they take care of it. They got to weed it. They got to tend it. Well, kind of the same thing. But what does a farmer depend on? The early rain and the latter rain. Now, I think James brings that up for a very important reason. Check out Deuteronomy. Some of you are going, what chapter in Deuteronomy? One of them. So read the book of Deuteronomy. Hey, you're locked in your house, got nothing better to do. In Deuteronomy, God promises if Israel's faithful to him, he will bring the early rain and the latter rain. Do you get where James is going with this? If you're faithful to God, you can trust him. You can take him at his word and he's gonna bring the early rain and he's gonna bring the latter rain. And a farmer can put that seed in the ground knowing that he's been faithful to God, knowing that he can believe God to do what he said. Now back that up to Jesus. Did Jesus say, I'm coming back or not? Yeah, he said, I'm coming back. So patiently wait for that. You know, just like the farmer knows, this is gonna happen. We know that he's coming back. And then he says in verse eight, you also be patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That word there for patient and establish your hearts, here's what he's saying. Now, man, you take a stand and you stand firm and you're being patient in the midst of a circumstance, not patient with people, but patient with circumstances and you establish, notice what he says, establish your heart Fix your heart. Know in your heart that Jesus is coming back. Know that that, hey, it's not just a maybe. He is coming back. Is he gonna come back in our generation? Man, I hope so. I really hope so. I can't tell you when he's coming back. Why can't I tell you? Because he said, no one knows the hour of the day. Now some people go, what? He didn't say what year. You don't know when he's coming back. I was in Bible college when the book came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Is Coming Back in 1988. He didn't make it in 88, in case you're wondering. And it was really funny because January 1st or January 2nd, the guy's second book came out, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Is Coming Back in 1989. And the 89th reason was because he didn't come back in 88. And people bought those books. That's how fanatical we get. Listen, I'm not telling you he's gonna come back in our generation. I'm praying he comes back in our generation. But here's what he says. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Now listen, church. Do not, verse nine, do not grumble against one another, brethren, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This is the third time, fourth time, in all what we read, but the third time in three verses that he mentioned Jesus is coming back. Here's what I think. Jesus is coming back. 
And we need to watch our tongues. Isn't it amazing? Go back to chapter one of, of, uh, of James, not right now, but for homework. Read all the way through, man. James is infatuated with the tongue. Why? Because we blow up with our mouths so bad. He says, don't grumble against each other. How can you, as brothers and sisters, get involved and back and forth and back and forth? When Jesus is coming back, would you like to be involved in the midst of a gossip and Jesus shows up? Lord, I wasn't really doing that. He goes, oh, yes, you were, man. Look at your face. He says, brethren, don't grumble. Don't grumble and complain against each other. Hey, I think that should be something, man, we just hold in our hearts. Why are we grumbling against one another? He says, you're going to be condemned. And again, I don't think he's talking about condemned, you're going to lose your salvation. It's just not going to be pleasant. And when Jesus went, he says, listen, man, he's at the door. Do you get the idea? James believed Jesus was almost there. And I think we should live that way every generation, he says, man, he's standing at the door, so do not grumble at one another, my brethren. In verse 10, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Look at the prophets. Look what they did. And he goes on to say, and he says, indeed, we count them blessed who endured. Look at the prophets. Look what they did. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. You go on and on. Look at how the world came against them. People came against them, and they endured to the end. They didn't give up. When people sometimes tell me, man, I just wish I could be a prophet, I'm thinking, I am so glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet. I think the only one that had a really successful ministry when we talk about prophets I think the only one that had a great success was this guy named Jonah. An entire nation repented at the words of Jonah. How many repented with Ezekiel? None. Jeremiah? None. Isaiah? None. And then you got this goofball, Jonah, who goes floating in a submarine and a whole nation. So, listen, man, I don't see a lot of, those guys had trial after trial after trial after trial. And he goes, but what did they do? What was the big thing about them? They endured, right? He says, hey, you need to be like them because why? Because we count them blessed who endured. They go to the end. Saints, be patient. And I know for myself, when I think of the Lord's coming, I know that I am a lot more prayerful about his coming when I'm going through a difficult time. When times are good, sometimes even people, some people even say, well, I wish you wouldn't come right now because like, things are really getting good. I love to talk to couples when, when we counsel with couples and it's premarital counseling and their marriage is getting really close. I go, you want Jesus to come back? Not till May 20th because we're getting married, right? Sometimes, like, come on, man, let's be honest. Some of you are going, not me, I'm so holy. No, you're not. There are times where things are going so well, you're going, Lord, hold it off for a week or two. And then when things are really bad, you can't wait for him to come, right? Well, he said, man, be patient, be patient. And then he gives us, you know, one of the cool guys, in the middle of verse 11, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Look at the Job. Hey, for homework as a family, read Job. And you know what? Everybody take a character. Here's a good thing, man. This is gonna be great. Hey, for today, for today in your home, everybody take a character in, in the book of Job. Someone be Job, someone be Job's wife. That would be a bad one. And then be the three friends and then be the Bildad who shows up in the middle and then someone can be the voice of God who has a really deep voice because we all know God has a deep voice. But hey, everybody take a part and read that and do a play and see what happens, man. Because it's amazing, man. You look at Job of all the people because it cracks me up. Some people go, I don't think Job was patient. Really? Number one, the first few chapters, what he endures is incredible. And then after he endures all of that and he's sitting and scraping his skin with pot charts because he's got these oozing sores all over himself, 
oh, by the way, as you're doing that, order a pizza. And when the pizza comes in, rip the cheese off and look at what you have left. And that's what Job's skin looked like, just when we need illustrations, right? And do that. So then, listen, man, everybody's picking on Job, right? His wife tells him to curse God and die. His friends are saying, dude, you must have sinned. Dude, you did something wrong. You're not very righteous. It's like, who needs friends like that, right? It was much better when we were all just sitting around quiet. Now you're telling me what a horrible person I am. And then Bildad, the young guy, right, the young guy, hey, I'm the young guy, I'm the new guy in ministry, I know everything. You old guys need to get out of the way and retire. I'm the new guy, and you three move off the scene. And then he gives all of his wisdom, and Job's going, I don't even like what you're saying, young guy. And then God comes on the scene. God never tells Job why. I love that story. Job's whole time was, why is this happening to me? And here's what God says. Job, you don't need to know why. All you need to know is me. And God revealed himself to Job. I love the one verse where God says, hey, go outside, look at a little hillside, and see where the water goes and makes a little, makes a little etch in the dirt. I do that, Job. I do that. Because that's how involved I am. And do you remember what Job says? My eyes have seen the Lord. And his life changes. That's what we need. So I think he did have patience. But here's what I love. I also think God was very compassionate. Why? Because he knew what Job needed to get Job to the end. He knew that was a thing that Job needed in his life. I think he's merciful. Why? Because he knew that's what Job needed. He knew he needed whatever happened to him. He knew he needed those friends to be losers. He knew he needed his wife to be the the great wall of courage that she was, that sarcasm. He knew everything Job needed in order for Job to be the man that God wanted Job to be. And hey, God is very compassionate. He's merciful. Now, all of that to say, but above all, notice that. Here's, here's what that means. Listen up, people. I told you about greedy people. I told you about their end. I told you about being patient. But if you didn't listen to me at all, listen up now. My, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Kind of sounds like to me, kind of sounds like he's talking about Matthew chapter five. It's interesting to me how much James relies on the Sermon on the Mount. He wasn't there but he uses it a lot. And didn't Jesus say the same thing? Now, we need to understand for their culture at their time, they had this whole oath thing going on. And so he's not saying that you and I, you know, when you go to a court of law, they make you swear to tell the truth. He's not saying, no, as a Christian, you go, no, I'm not swearing. And you act all holy. That's not what he's talking about. You see, in their culture, even God took oaths. And God even told them in the law, Take an oath. But here's what they did. They said, okay, and so you remember you have the law, the Torah, and then you have the Mishnah, which is volumes written about what the Torah means. And, and so the Jews, the Jews, the rabbis would say, well, if you take an oath and you swear by something else rather than God, it's not a real oath. It's like you have your hands behind your back and your fingers crossed. You didn't really mean you were gonna promise to do that. It was kind of a fake promise. And so they had that written in, so you could swear by, you could swear by your house, you could swear by your mother's grave, you could swear by Jerusalem, you could swear by these other things, you could swear by heaven, you could swear by earth, as long as you didn't swear by God. Now, here's the thing, Jesus let them know, God made all of those things, so when you're doing that, you're swearing by God, so knock it off. And that's kind of what James is saying, because don't we have a tendency when things get really rough in our lives, oh God, I promise I'm gonna do, any of you ever do that? Guys in here smiling, some are not. And we tend to do that, don't we? Even as Christians, sometimes we do that. God, please. And he's saying, stop doing that and be a person of integrity. Be a person who, when you say yes, you mean yes. When you say no, you mean no. And you know what? I think that's important in raising your children. I think as you raise your children, especially your yes should be yes and your no should be no. Don't waffle as a parent. When you waffle as a parent, it confuses your kids. 
and they don't really know what you mean. And then, and then they get all confused, and then here's what I believe. I believe, listen, as parents, we represent God to our children, that authority. And if we're waffling with our kids, if we tell them, no, you can't do that, and they go, come on, let me do that. And we go, no, come on. And then we get on the floor, the kid gets on the floor, throws a humongous fit, and you go, okay, just go do it. Here's what you told them. That's how you treat God. And it's not right. So listen, let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. And here's what he's saying. It's going to get you in trouble if you're not a person of integrity. So what did we learn today, this morning, almost this afternoon? Man, these guys didn't listen very fast. Here's what we learned. More than likely, the rich are going to get richer. Don't get all worked up about that. As a matter of fact, feel sorry for them, knowing they're the greedy people are building up for the day of slaughter. You, saint, Christian, church, be patient. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Just like the farmer trusted God to bring the, bring the rain, we're gonna trust Jesus to come back. And we're gonna be patient people. We're gonna endure. We're not gonna get caught in that trap when, when it gets tough. And here's, what, here's, here's what's bumming me out, man. As it gets tough, we tend to turn on each other and begin to devour each other. He goes, stop doing that. Let me give you an example. A lot of homes right now. Right now, because some of you have never in your entire marriage and raising your kids spent this much time with your family, ever. And all of a sudden, you're looking at these people and you're going, wow, I don't even think I like you anymore. And I know, listen, I know homes are getting stressful. And you need to understand something. It's because you don't have a right relationship with Jesus right now. And you need to fix that. And I know that that's the thing, man. When it gets tough, we tend to turn on one another, just like the church. It gets tough in the church. The church starts grumbling and complaining. We start grumbling and complaining about families. Hey, as kids, when things got tough as kids, my brother and I, it was great when things were good. When things got tough, man, him and I are at each other's throats. We're trying to strangle each other. It's a wonder we didn't kill each other. My, my parents, you know, I look at my parents and wonder they didn't kill us. But listen, man, you tend to do that. And then right now, I know, man, there's some stuff going on in homes it's hard saints i understand that but you need to trust jesus you need to know he's coming back and you surely don't want to be in the midst of one of those family discussions when he comes back let's work at being godly let's work at being christians let's be like david and let's go in the house of the lord and by that here's what i mean let's get in the word of god and let's let the word of god guide and direct us and let's walk with him and know that he is going to see us through this time. We know, listen, just like Job, we are going to endure and we're going to persevere to the end. And let's believe that. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your challenge. And God, I do pray. I pray for homes right now that there's hardships, there's divisions, there's difficulties going on. And Lord, you know, and I pray right now that you would intervene in those homes, that you would touch hearts and change hearts. God, that you would, instead of this time separating families, that this time would grow families would make them strong and powerful and united. Work in, a, work in a way that, God, you can only work. So I pray for husbands to put you in the center of their lives. I pray for wives to put you in the center of their lives. I pray for children to put you in the center of their lives and that you would bring healing in those homes and restoration in those homes. And God, that I pray that today, beginning right now, today, for those homes that are struggling, that they would see a change because their hearts are changed and because they're focused on you. So touch them and bless them. And for all of us, God, keep our eyes focused on you and not on situations, not on circumstances, but focused on you. And let us look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, as we walk through things that are uncomfortable, things that are different,
as we walk through this change of, of how we are doing life right now, I pray that we would make you the center of everything. And I'm gonna ask uh, believers to continue in prayer. Just pray hard right now. And maybe somebody right now you're watching, maybe with a family member, maybe someone got you in there, and maybe a, a spouse or a parent or a child, and you're watching and you do not have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe even you've come to Calvary for years and years and years and years, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Right now is the time to change that. And you can do that just simply by calling on his name. The Bible says that you need to come to a place and you need to recognize the fact that you're a sinner. It says we've all sinned. So that shouldn't be hard. And, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. You know, and I don't need to explain it to you. You know you're a sinner. You know you sinned against God. But you have to come to a place where you're sorry about that sin. And you need to understand that the wages of sin is separation from God. The Bible calls that death. And Jesus went to the cross, was separated from God, and he took the punishment that you deserve, the punishment that I deserved upon himself. And as he took that punishment, he paid the price that you were supposed to pay. And now he holds out to you that, that receipt, so to speak, paid in full. All you gotta do is take it. And here's how you take it. You let him know that you want your forgiveness. So say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud, you're at home. Here in the church, sometimes I say you can say it out loud or silent, but you're at home, say it out loud. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. And right now, I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you, or today I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Come into my life and guide me. Right now, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer with us, God bless you. Welcome to the family of God. And our prayer is that you, you would follow up on that commitment. You can go on our website, calvarysv.org. You can click on the three bars and go down and there's a place for new believers. You can get some new believer information. Also, you can text us, 210-3678. Uh, yeah, Let us know you made that decision, man. We wanna be involved with you.